there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. Are you interested in learning more about how to leverage sleeper cells on LinkedIn to get a job or internship you'll love? What about learning the cheat codes to make the most of your time in college? Then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is an entrepreneur and podcast host, and he's an expert on LinkedIn, and he only graduated in 2018. But before I introduce you to Justin Wynn, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays with unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Justin Wynn, the 23, almost 24-year-old founder and CEO of Get Your Grind Up. It's a movement he's building to help students navigate their way through college. He's also the host of a top 50 iTunes podcast called Declassified College, where Justin unlocks cheat codes in bite-sized episodes so listeners can learn how to thrive in college. Through hard work and clever hacks, Justin has grown his podcast using his LinkedIn content and now has close to 8,000 followers and he receives over 200,000 views each month. Justin had four serious internships and a super cool job at Universal's Orlando Resort while he was still in undergrad. And by the time he graduated, he had two job offers. Justin's online course is called Accelerate Your Career with LinkedIn. And we're going to be talking about that and a lot more in our main Time for Coffee interview. So check out show notes to see if that episode has already dropped. Justin, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated on life and ready to go? 100%. I always am. Nice, nice. Yeah, as we learn, because, all right, let's be honest here. Justin and I, <laughs> we've had one hell of a time getting this uh, recording going. And in fact, he was such an amazing trooper. And we did two interviews already. And I kid you not, at the end of the interviews, I realized that the little Ecamm call recorder that usually is attached to my Skype, which is the way we're doing this interview, wasn't there. And so after spending like over an hour with me, we realized that the interviews hadn't recorded. So we are like locked and loaded today. I have triple checked. The call recorder is recording. And I know Justin doesn't love coffee. He likes it. He likes to sip from his girlfriend's coffee every now and then, but it just doesn't do anything for him. Right, Justin? Yeah, the the caffeine makes me tired. So it's sort of the opposite effect. Not sure why. I'm a little bit of a weirdo there, but I, I love the taste of it. I just can't. I don't get caffeinated, so to say, as most people do. 
But you know what? You've got so much energy, you don't need it. (laughs) So anyway, let's kick things off, Justin, with just getting a little more insight into this movement that you're building to help college students make the most of their time and, of course, all the money they're spending to be on campus, be online, whatever the case may be, through your company, Get Your Grind Up. What is Get Your Grind Up and how did it start? Yeah, so Get Your Grind Up, it all started with a a joke. So the listeners, you guys can't see me, but I come from an Asian descent. I'm Vietnamese. And growing up, the running stereotype is just you're naturally good at school and you're supposed to be really good at math. And it's not necessarily the worst stereotype, so I didn't really pay much attention to it. But when I was in college and I started to get internships and getting the good grades, people would just say, oh, you're just getting it because you're Asian. That's like sort of a joke. And I was like, haha, that's funny. But let me show you the actual work that I'm actually putting in. So on my Snapchat and Instagram story, I would post my study tips, getting home from Universal at like 11 p.m. and going to study and things like that. One thing turned to another. It started to gain some momentum. So my girlfriend, Michelle, and my best friend from back home, Gary, were like, hey, let's turn this into something serious. And that's when our first podcast started the Get Your Grind Up podcast, which has now stopped. And we're moving on to declassified college. And our whole point of everything that we're looking to build is to provide a resource that we wish that we had when we were college students that spoke in our voice and more of a student-focused environment, so to say. And sort of the one thing that I always keep near and dear to my heart is I never really want to charge students $400 for a course or anything like that. So all of our content is online. It's free. So it's always a great resource for any student that's looking for that sort of real life content when it comes to career education. I love that. And honestly, Justin, this is super near and dear to my heart because when I started Time for Coffee two and a half years ago, and actually we launched this month, we're doing this interview in August 2020, but I had the exact same mission and drive to create content for young listeners that didn't exist when I was in school and that honestly still doesn't exist. So I totally feel you. And I'm so thrilled that somebody who is as close to the age of college students has that same passion because you were just there and you totally relate to what they're going through in a way that Hey, I'm 56. Let's be real. I have a few more miles on my odometer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even myself, though, too, just specifically right now, right? I graduated two years ago. And when I graduated, the economy was still doing really well. Whereas now with COVID and everything kind of going on, my perspective has, has really been changed. And also it's sort of irrelevant at the same time. So the way that I try to create my content is I make sure to always incorporate individuals who are still in that space currently. So that's why most of our episodes, there's typically three to five different perspectives. And for the student focused ones, we always get current students to share their voice. So that's how I try to stay relevant too. not necessarily just only using my voice, but leveraging my platform to be able to give students a voice. We should also spell out your company name. It's Get and then Cho, C-H-O, Grind Up, G-R-I-N-D, Up. Where did the Cho come from? So it used to be Get Your Grind Up. But then one day, my girlfriend, Michelle, she was like, hey, you should turn it into something that's a little bit more catchy. And we kind of came up with Cho. 
And it's funny because I'm Asian and people think that my last name is Cho and that's why I put that in there. And I wish that was the case. Um, but typically Cho is a Korean last name. I'm Vietnamese, so unfortunately that, that doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't work out that way, but it's still funny. I wish that that was my last name for this sort of instance. Yeah, absolutely. And what is your longer term vision for Get You Grind Up and the movement that you're building? Yeah, so the movement that we're building, we're looking for it to become a media company that's sort of student focused. So out there, I mean, you have her campus, you have organizations like that that are student focused, but we want ours to be a student focused career education platform. The reason that we're focusing on career education is because when it comes to college, I think schools do a pretty good job of teaching you book knowledge. I don't think there's many people that will deny that. What they really lack is preparing students for the workforce. And if you ask almost any student, the reason that they're going to college is to get a job. But if the college isn't necessarily preparing you for how to find a job, how to actually network, and they're only telling you very broad advice, then by the time that you leave, you're sort of like, well, what the heck do I do? And you're seeing that with the numbers where it's only about like 25% of students have a job that use their degree. And I think that's very, that's so bad when it comes to when you're spending 20, 30, 50, $100,000 for that piece of paper. So what I want to do is be able to at least make that investment worth it for the students of the world. And then also be able to monetize the companies without having to monetize the students. So that's why we're looking at it from a media angle. Nice. And as I was preparing for this interview, I did spend a lot of time binging on episodes of Declassified College and really enjoyed the episodes. And I know because I come from a media background myself, it takes a lot of time and effort to do the really careful editing that you do. And I think maybe it was just in one season, maybe it's been in more than one season, but that you've brought on multiple guests and kind of pulled clips from their interviews, highlighting what you see as being their most important points. Your tagline is something like another day, another cheat code. For those of our listeners who may not be familiar with cheat codes, what are they? Yeah. So when I was growing up, I played a lot of video games. And back in the day, and I say back in the day, but when I was growing up, pretty much every video game had cheat codes. And what cheat codes are is you would essentially type in a code or a series of letter button pressing and things like that. And then something would happen on the video game that would allow you to win easier. And the game that's notorious for this, and it's still sort of the same way today, is Grand Theft Auto. And it's almost impossible to win the game without cheat code. So for anyone out there who knows Grand Theft Auto, try playing that without cheat code, then you'll totally understand where that comes from. And I keep that same mentality with life where I feel like life is sort of like a game and there are certain cheat codes that other people know that you might not know. And that's why I bring on the different perspectives because everyone has sort of a different walk of life and they've been told something a little bit different. And you can use that knowledge that we share in our podcast to implement it into your own life if you've never heard of that that sort of stat before. For instance, we've had on one of my good friends, Ben Fields, and he talked about how he basically was able to travel to like 20 or 30 countries while he was still in school by using the school's dime. And he found ways to use research grants and all of these little different things from the bursar's office that people like myself, I never even heard of. Yeah. But when I heard of from him, I was like, oh, wow, like that's... That makes sense because there's his whole thing is there's money out there. 
You just need to know the right people to talk to to get that money from the college student perspective. That is so cool. So he literally traveled to 20 countries and he didn't have to pay for it? Yeah. So he's an absolute rock star. So he had the whole sort of scheme down. He would go out and he would make sure that he would get a research grant to go travel to Asia or Europe or Africa or somewhere, wherever he wanted to go. And what he would do is he knew that the money wouldn't hit his account until about four or five weeks into the actual research project. Mm -hmm. So he would put everything on a credit card because he knew he would have the money to pay it back. And the credit cards that he would get would have a zero interest rate for like the first year. So he would be fine on the interest side. And then he would leave a week or two before because he got to book his own flights. So he basically would have a week or two free that he would be able to hop to different sort of countries. And then he would go and do his research project for a month, a week, whatever it was, and then stay for an extra week or so and put it all on the credit card so that by the time that he came back to the States, he just got essentially a round trip to wherever it was and traveled to like 10 countries for like $500. Wow. I love that. So what are some of your favorite cheat codes? You've mentioned your buddy and the travel. What are some of the other cheat codes that you've learned from some of the guests that you've had on Declassified College? Yeah. And I also forget to mention about Ben too. So he graduated from Cornell as a student athlete with a double major and seven minors. That's another story for a whole nother day on how he was able to achieve that. But basically he found the classes that he could double dip in. And I think he only took an extra four to eight classes or something like that to get those eight minors. So it looks like crazy on a piece of paper. But in reality, it took just a little bit extra time to look like he went to school for an extra like two, three years, essentially. So again, it's just a lot of little things that you can sort of learn from all these different sort of people that have figured out the game in their own way. And when they show you, you're like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. And the best way to put it, my friends always say, you're telling me things and it makes sense, but I just don't believe it. And (laughs) it's very hard to believe some of the times. But when you actually listen and you hear their authenticity and their voice, it, it makes a ton of sense. I think the number one cheat code that I loved which I sort of learned my own way, but a little bit too late in my college career, that as a student, you should leverage your student status to be a positive rather than a negative. I think when I was in school, a lot of the times I always thought of, I'm a student, who's going to listen to me? When it's actually sort of the opposite of when you're a student, everyone wants to listen to you, A, because people want to understand your mindset and your generation's mindset, but also B, They want to help you because they were once in your shoes one time or not in their life. So what I mean by that is being able to use your .edu email to reach out and meet very influential people. And just by saying, hey, I'm a student, I'm looking to do some research here, or I I would love to ask you some questions around this, you will get a way higher response rate than if someone like myself or you went out and said, hey, Justin, like I would love to have a 10-minute call with you. Most of the times I'm going to say no because I just think that you're selling me something. But when you're in school and you ask me for a 10, 15-minute phone call, I'm way more likely to accept it because I'm like, hey, I want to help you out. You're a college student. I was a college student. We have that sort of connection there and I know how tough it is. So being able to leverage that student status is so important. Yeah, the empathy. And especially as you mentioned earlier, Justin, the fact that we've got the coronavirus going on, hopefully the empathy factor will be on steroids. 
because so many working professionals will be looking at those of you who are still in school and those of you who are going to be graduating in 2021 with extra empathy and thinking, gosh, I really want to help this person. Yeah, 100%. If I'm a student right now, what I would do is just stalk people on LinkedIn and look for the people that graduated during 08 and 09 because those individuals will probably have the most empathy with you because they graduated in a very similar time of very low employment for college graduates. So reach out to them, especially the ones that have found that career success in some sort of way or a very similar career trajectory that you want to kind of emulate in your own. And I'm sure that they will be more than happy to share how they were able to navigate those crazy waters when they were graduating. That is super strategic. Initially, I was like, why are you saying 0809? Because I've been recommending to the young people that I speak with that they really try to connect with people who may have graduated from their school just a couple of years ago because they're much more likely to respond than somebody who graduated 30 years ago let's say, but I think that's an amazing recommendation. One of the other cheat codes I learned from listening to you, Justin, was around getting over your fear of networking. Because as we both know, it's a big pain point for a lot of people, not just young people. Would you mind sharing how you hacked your way from clueless to confident? (laughs) I think the first and the biggest mindset shift for me was Everyone always loves to say your network is your net worth or it's it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And when that actually boils down, it's actually the complete opposite. It's not really about who you know. It, that's actually a worthless statistic. It's about who knows you and who remembers you. So I remember going from the kid that would try to shake 100 hands every single time I went to a networking event to the kid that would have five meaningful conversations and be able to have something to follow up on later on that night. So my number one advice is when you're a student and someone says you need to start networking, what they're saying is true. But if your sort of mentality and your thought process of networking is I need to meet as many people as possible, I would change that because you don't have to be that person. Because what ends up happening is if you try to talk to 100 people and no one remembers you, when you try to reach back out to them, they're going to be like, why is this kid, why is this student reaching out to me? I don't remember who they are. But if you have a meaningful conversation with someone and you have specific talking points to mention back in a email, in a LinkedIn connection request, whatever that may be, you have a bridge to creating that relationship right off the bat. And it becomes less scary because you don't have to say that you need to meet 100 people tonight. You only need to meet five. And from those five, you can start to build really meaningful relationships. I want to ask you, Justin, just kind of building out on the connecting piece, because I think one of the ways, especially during COVID, when so many of us are stuck at home or stuck in our apartments, that we're going to be connecting is through LinkedIn. And I get a ton of requests from lots and lots of people that I don't know who aren't in one of the four industries I've worked in or who don't have people in their network that I know, and many of them aren't including a note. What advice do you have for our listeners about how they can authentically network and build out their LinkedIn network in a way that's going to have a higher success rate? 
I would say the number one thing that you need to be doing when it comes to connecting on LinkedIn is you need to be sending a personalized connection request. And the reason for that is anyone who's active or if they're in a very high position at their company, they're probably getting anywhere between 10 to 40 requests every single day. And like you said, most of those are very just blank requests of people just hitting that connection button on their profile. So if you're sending a personalized invite, you're standing out and being a part of that 1%. I would say I get probably 10 to 30 plus connection requests every single day. And maybe three of them are three to five of them are probably personalized. And most of those aren't even personalized in a way that's actually personal to me. Now, I know I said personal a lot of times. But what I mean by that is a lot of people have a robot or an algorithm on the back end that they are using to send out these messages to massive amounts of people. So what those messages might look like is, oh, we have mutual connections on LinkedIn. I would love to connect. Or we are sort of in the same circles on LinkedIn. I would love to connect. And those messages I know right off the bat that they are fake. And I'm just going to deny them from the get. What you can do to be personalized when it comes to that connection request is look at that person's profile for a quick few seconds. Just read their summary. Find a point that they've made in their summary that you can connect back to you, whether it's the school that they went to, an industry that you want to go into, anything like that. And then go out and reach out to them. So for instance, let's say you're a UCF student and you wanted to connect with me. What a personalized connection request might look like is... Hey, Justin, I saw that you're a UCF Knight. I love to connect with very successful UCF graduates. And I would probably connect back with you because you added that real personalization there. And then also just probably ask about like who you are, what you're doing, and what you want to learn about. Now, from a non-UCF perspective, what that might look like if you wanted to connect with me is, Hey, Justin, we're both in the podcasting space. I love talking about students. I would love to connect and learn more about what you're doing with Declassified College. So... Again, just finding that point of connection and finding a way to spin that so that you're able to bridge a connection with that other person that you're looking to put into your LinkedIn network. So that's really it. It takes literally 30 seconds to a minute to read over someone's profile and find a point of connection. And then you just have to go from there. Just don't be scared. Send that personalized invite. And then who knows if they're going to connect back or not. Yeah. Great advice. You had a really interesting episode with career coaches on Declassified College who were sharing their cheat codes on writing a kick-ass resume. What would you say, Justin, were your top takeaways that if you were writing a resume now, you'd want to make sure to include? I think the number one piece of advice from that episode came from, I believe her name is Cassandra Thompson. And the advice that she gave was keep it simple. And What that means is I think as students, when things aren't going our way, when it comes to when we're reaching out and sending our resume to a bunch of people, we try to overcomplicate it in like, oh, we need to make it this color. We need to have our picture on it. We need to do all these little things to make it look really good. And we go on Canva and they make it so easy to just drag and drop things. And it looks so good on Canva. But in reality, the more complicated that you make it, the more chances that you have to mess up, whether it's from grammar perspective, a formatting perspective, alignment, things like that. And from an employer standpoint, if you are using the wrong there or you're using the wrong where, that makes a huge difference because if you're making that mistake on your resume, what's going to happen when you're dealing with a $1 million contract? Are you going to mess up there? Are you going to add an extra zero? And from their perspective, you might. 
So just by being able to make your resume as simple as possible, it just lessens the chance that you'll have a mistake on there. And that's something that I didn't know going into college. I tried to make mine fancier and fancier as I sort of grew in my college career. And in reality, that might have been something that I could have avoided. So forget about the bells and whistles, although there are certain formats that are cleaner and that look professional for sure. But in terms of like the color or the kind of font, those are things that aren't going to get you to the top of the pile if the basics aren't there. Exactly. Like make sure that your basics are there. And unless you're going into like a graphic design background, then don't worry too, too much in terms of like the color. But I think because I've seen it a lot with students as well, where I was focusing on making sure that the gradient color was nice on my (laughs) my resume. And like that really just doesn't matter, right? I'm not going for any designer positions. So making sure that what you have is the basics, that you have all the keywords that you need to, make sure you have that. But from a design standpoint, just making it as simple as possible to make sure that it still looks good and it can be differentiated from all the other resumes that look very similar, make sure that you have that too. But don't overcomplicate it too much by like changing colors, trying to add photos and all these different sort of things. Yeah. Another kind of a form of a personal resume that millions of professionals have, obviously, is their LinkedIn page. And you've got a course, Justin, that you and a buddy of yours created on how to optimize that page and how to think of it rather than a resume. You want it to be more like the landing page of a website. What do you think a couple of the biggest mistakes are that people make with how they populate that landing page on LinkedIn? Yeah, I think the number one thing that you're going to want to change on your LinkedIn profile is to make sure that you don't have the people also viewed section on your page. So if you're scrolling down most people's LinkedIn profile, you'll see on the right hand side, you'll see a section called people also viewed. And that can be a huge turnoff, especially if you're a recruiter, because let's say I'm going to recruit for someone and I'm scrolling down your page. And then all of a sudden I see someone with a better photo, a better headline, maybe a better name, someone that I resonate with more. I'm going to immediately jump off of your page and move on to there. And I'm just going to basically forget about you. And that's the last thing that you want. So you can take off that section so you don't have to worry about that. The second thing that I think most people get wrong with their LinkedIn profile is their summary section. What I've seen typically is people will just reiterate what's on their resume in their summary section. And if you're looking at it from a recruiting standpoint, they've probably already seen your resume. So they're going onto your LinkedIn profile just to look and see. Why would they want to read the same thing twice? They don't want to. And you're just regurgitating that same information. So use that summary to tell your story make the recruiter fall in love with you. Use those, I think, 2,000 characters that you have to be able to tell your story, make them fall in love with you in a way that you can't on your resume. That's your place to shine. And then the last thing that I would say is make sure to use photos and website links on your LinkedIn profile. And the reason that you want to do that is because the biggest problem with most resumes is people lie on them. And the way that you can kind of overcome that fear of, is this person lying? Can this person actually do Microsoft Excel like they say that they can? Is by being able to show in a video, in a photo, in a screenshot, whatever it may be, that you know how to do it. You can link those to your profile. So 
just finding ways to make sure that on the recruiter standpoint, they know that you can actually do what you say you do on your resume is super important. I love those suggestions. I have actually taken Justin's course. He was nice enough to share it with me. And one of the parts of the course that I thought was super fascinating was around how you can raise your visibility on LinkedIn by posting valuable content. And by that, we're not saying commenting on other people's posts with like thumbs up or little emoji with sunglasses or saying great post or awesome post, right, Justin? Yeah, exactly. So I think commenting and engaging is a great first step, right? It's going to sort of get you that confidence to be able to create your own content. And you'll also be around good content and see what good content looks like on LinkedIn. But the biggest thing that you want to do is start to create that content because that's how you can start to bring people to your profile. Everyone talks about, hey, you need to have this beautiful profile. You need to make it optimized. And that's important. But if you're only getting 20, 30, 50 views, then no one's going to see it. So it doesn't really matter that you're, you have a beautiful profile. But for instance, for me, I get anywhere between 1,500 to 2,000 views every single month. And those are coming from recruiters, hiring managers, CEOs, founders, people like that who are in hiring positions. And when I tell that to students or even any individuals that's sort of in the job search, they're like, oh my God, I wish I had that. So don't think that you need to be an industry expert. You're an expert in something that you do. If I can create content around the student journey while I was still a student and get hundreds of thousands of views, you can definitely do it too. Yeah. And I'm not giving away too much here by saying that Justin really breaks it down to three types of valuable content, one being inspirational, another being controversial, and the third being teachable. There's a lot more in his course if you're interested, and we'll include a link to it in show notes. So Justin, let's flash back to when you were in college. It wasn't that long ago. You started out at the University of Tampa (laughs) and you transferred your sophomore year to the University of Central Florida, where you graduated with a degree in finance. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? Not necessarily. I initially went into getting my finance degree because I wanted to kind of go on Wall Street. And I was in sort of virtual currency on this video game FIFA. I was doing really well. I I knew how to trade. I knew the market. And I could make like a million coins very simply. So I was like, oh, why don't I just do this in real life? But when I figured out like the work-life balance, the culture and everything like that, that wasn't necessarily the route that I wanted to go. And when I graduated with my finance degree, I had a job offer to do consulting, which is sort of that dream job offer coming out of college. But what I realized was I wanted to pursue Get Your Grind Up and Declassified College because I wanted to make an impact and that job will always be there essentially. So I'm not necessarily using any of my finance knowledge that I learned in school right now. But what I am using is that analytical mindset to be able to look at the data and come at content creation from a design perspective rather than just a creative perspective. So it's been really unique. And that's what we use to create our new show, Declassified College. And I think that's why it's doing so well, because we took a look at the information that we were given from our first podcast. We went out to the market to figure out what they actually wanted and we produced something That is fun to make on our end, but also our audience loves to listen to at the same time. There's so much in that answer. But one of the things that I want to emphasize here 
is that chances are you may not go into a field that relates directly back to your major. I'm obviously speaking to our young listeners. And so instead of thinking about your major as the tiny house that you're going to be forced to live in for the rest of your life, like Justin, see it as the foundation of a professional skyscraper that you're going to be building over the course of your professional life with each new job and each new career, adding a new floor to your skyscraper. I was a political science major and my minor was in Asian studies and Chinese. I never explicitly used my political science degree, but I lived in China. I was a journalist. I covered American foreign policy. I covered Capitol Hill. And then I went into public relations. And then I went into the nonprofit world. And at one point, I was working in public affairs where I was using some of the political science degree. And now I'm an entrepreneur and a podcaster. So just as Justin, who was at the beginning of his journey as an entrepreneur and a podcaster, and is tapping into some of the analytical skills and probably some of the courses that he took to create his business, the same thing's going to happen with you. And another thing, Justin, you changed your major when you transferred from the University of Tampa to UCF, and you were majoring in athletic training. And that is actually super common. 75% of college students change their major. How did you feel about transferring at the time? Because one of the many things that I've learned from interviewing hundreds of people on T4C, Justin, is that just as your interests often evolve while you're in college, the same thing is going to happen to you in your professional life. Yeah. So sort of what went into my decision to change my major when I was in college was I I went into the athletic training major and the athletic training program because I wanted to combine my love for sports and sort of my parents' dream of being a doctor. And I think a lot of students who played sports back in high school have a sort of similar mindset. I always like to joke around and say, if anyone played a sport in high school, they're one of two majors. They're either an athletic training major or they're going down the sports management route. And it's honestly pretty common. If I look at all of the friends that I played soccer with growing up, I would say like 70 to 80% of them fall within one of those two categories in terms of where they started in college. Mm -hmm. And I think, like you said, your interests sort of change over time. But I think you also get smarter and realize where the opportunities actually lie. For me, when I looked out at the athletic training market, if I wanted to actually make a solid living for myself, I had to go out and get a PhD probably to be able to have a chance at being a physical therapist or an athletic trainer for one of the top sports teams. And when I looked at that schooling and I looked at that timeline, I was like, that's just not for me. And also my freshman year, my roommate, we both played video games and we loved playing FIFA. And on FIFA, as I mentioned earlier, there's sort of a stock market aspect to it. And that's when I learned how to trade from virtually zero coins all the way up to a million coins. And he's put me on to learning about finance. I had never even heard of the stock market before. And I didn't know anything about finance. So this is a whole completely new world. And I think that's sort of the beauty of college, especially if you get lucky and get a great roommate your freshman year, is you get these different perspectives of different individuals that have grown up in a way that you you didn't grow up in. And I think that's also why I try to have as many perspectives on the show too. 
on declassified college because someone else has been brought up in a different way and they can teach you a lesson that you've never even thought about. And I think that's super important, whether it's your roommate, whether it's listening to a show like mine or like yours, it's always great to get different perspectives. One of the many super impressive things that you've accomplished already, Justin, is that you landed four awesome internships at companies like Lockheed Martin, and I believe you had a 10-month-long college work experience program, the acronym is CWEP, at the Hartford Insurance Company, where you participated in a four-month early career leadership development program, that's a mouthful, and at Northwestern Mutual. How did you get those internships, especially the one at Lockheed Martin? Yeah. So what may be surprising to all your listeners is I didn't, I think for each of those, I didn't go through the traditional application process. And I'll walk through quickly how I got each internship. My first one was Northwestern Mutual. And the way that I got that one was I saw from a friend who I played soccer with my freshman year in high school. He was posting on his Instagram that like he was like the number one intern and he was graduating into a full-time role. And I just wanted to reach out to him and say, hey, you want to grab some ice cream and let's talk about what you're doing right now. And that's a quick little hack, a little cheat code for anyone listening is instead of asking for coffee, instead of asking for lunch or dinner, ask for ice cream. Because unless they're lactose intolerant, almost (laughs) no one says no to getting ice cream. So that's what we did. We grabbed some ice cream. Then one thing led to another. I was explaining to him how I was trying to apply to 50 plus internships, wouldn't even get a call back. And he basically said, do you want an internship at Northwestern Mutual? And I was like, of course I do. I've been trying to find this my whole life. And Northwestern was like the number one finance internship at the time. So I didn't even have an application. I literally walked into the office because they set up the meeting. And in the meeting, they were like, this is just sort of a formality. Bilal recommended you. So he comes, he's like the number one producer in the firm right now. So if he trusts you, we trust you. And we just want to have this interview so that we can learn a little bit more about you, essentially. And I passed my test, got to do the internship, all dandy there. The next internship was the Lockheed one. And at Lockheed, I was having a really tough time trying to find another internship to follow up from my Northwestern one. And I would go into my career coach, which is sort of in the career resources department at my school. And I would go to him every single day, like every single week, essentially. And it got to the point where I had built up so much trust from him that he realized that he could put his name behind me. And he was like, you know what, Justin, I'm going to go directly to the director of the CWEP program at UCF and I'm going to make him hire you essentially. And he did just that. In about two or three weeks, I had two interviews with Lockheed Martin and I got one of the roles and then the rest is history. That's how I got that, that role. And the best thing about that is it was paid. And I was making like $15 an hour or something like that as a college student, which was amazing. And I didn't have... Amazing. Yeah, it was great. And I didn't have to pay any taxes on it because I was technically a student worker. So I guess just how like the laws work, I didn't have to pay tax. I was only paying like 2% taxes. So I was actually making $15 an hour, which was great. It was amazing uh, as a college student. And then my last internship with the Hartford... I got that by I was scrolling through my student email and I saw an email from the multicultural center at my school and I saw that they were having a career fair. I just went to it, didn't didn't know much about it. And then I saw that the Hartford was there. And I believe that the only reason that I got that internship 
is because I connected the dots between my background of being from Connecticut and the Hartford being in Connecticut. And I told the recruiter saying, hey, I'm from Connecticut. I always try to find a way to get back with previous internships. I previously interned at Northwestern Mutual. Do you know if they have any internships available up there? And what ended up happening was I, I talked to this recruiter maybe in December. And typically by December, all of these internships are filled. And I think that they pretty much created this internship just for me because I was one of the last individuals to be confirmed for this, this internship program in Connecticut. So what I would suggest to anyone is when you're looking to get an internship, it's going to be almost impossible to just apply and get lucky that someone sees your resume. Any of the large companies, they're getting thousands, if not tens of thousands of resumes from students from across the world. The only way to get in is to find that champion on the inside, whether it's your career resource center, whether it's a recruiter that you meet at a career fair, whatever that may be, you need to find someone on the inside to push your resume forward. And that's how I got literally every single one of my internships. So that's sort of how you can work around. And I I promise you, it's so much better instead of spending 20 hours applying to 100 internships and just getting rejected after rejection. It'll be much better to build a relationship using those 20 hours with that company that you really want to work for. Fantastic advice, Justin. And I actually think that same model applies to applying for full-time gigs outside of school. You need to have that personal connection, which is why it's so important to be thinking about your network in a strategic way. You also had a paying job as a sales associate at Universal Orlando's Resort. And you started working there your sophomore year, I believe. And here's what Justin highlighted about that job on his LinkedIn page, on his landing page. He wrote, I was able to learn the art of communication. And then he put in parentheses, interacting with over 300 people every night. And I got to practice mastering the upsell of Despicable Me Minion Candy Bars. Now, I will tell you as a former hiring manager, if I read that about Justin, there are so many things that would go through my mind. First of all, he's got a really great sense of humor. He's probably a lot of fun. The fact that he is a really good salesman. I mean, the fact that he was learning the importance of the upsell and... He was interacting with over 300 people every night. What was it that went through your mind, Justin, when you decided to add that to your LinkedIn page? So for the 300 customer standpoint, 300 guest standpoint, I would have never known to add that unless I had met with my career advisor. He asked questions that I had never even thought about. Because what originally that might have said was I provide a great customer service to guests every night. But just adding that number of 300 really puts things into perspective, especially when you're working at a world-renowned theme park like Universal Orlando. Now, when it comes to the Despicable Me standpoint, like you said, I was sort of trying to hit on the sales side of I knew I wanted to get into finance and consulting and one of the big things in those roles is you need to be able to sell your 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 concept or your plan to the customer, essentially. So I needed to find some sort of experience in my background to be able to show that I knew how to do sales. And we always had this competition at, at work where if you did the upsell and the funniest one was always the despicable me, 
candy bar because it was five dollars for this candy bar that no one wanted because it was bananas and (laughs) no kid wants bananas so whoever went to the design side of that was just they didn't work out but we had to try and sell it and what i found was the best way to try to sell these candy bars is to always wait for the parent that would have this crying baby and would say like this will help your baby stop crying essentially because Think about it. You're in Florida. It's hot. It's the middle of summer. It's like 90, 100 degrees outside. Your kid's going to be cranky by the end of the day and you're waiting in two, three hour lines. So what I would always try to pitch it as a solution to the problem of your kid is cranky, give them some chocolate and they'll hopefully be a little less cranky. And it worked. I wanted to add that portion to there to add that sort of sales side, but also to like what you said, to add sort of my personality to it too. Again, when it comes to your LinkedIn profile, your resume, anything like that, you want to find a way to make that recruiter fall in love with you. And that's sort of how I, I sort of weave in little things here and there to show that I love to do a little bit of banter. Like I like to joke around and have a good sense of humor. A hundred percent. So how many of those candy bars did you eat, Justin? I probably only had like a quarter of them, to be honest. I didn't really enjoy those candy bars, <laughs> um, but I enjoyed the the incentive we would get free movie tickets or anything like things like that if we were the number one salesperson. So I thought that this would be really cool to look on my resume. So I tried to to win it every couple months or so that we had the competitions. And it was always something that was great in terms of just like friendly competition between everyone that, that was working there. Nice. Okay. Two final T4C questions. I know you've only been out in the working world full time since the spring of 2018, but could you share a time in your professional life, when you struggled, and maybe you even face-planted. And I'm asking you this, just as I ask all my guests, Justin, not because I'm trying to embarrass you or humiliate you. God knows I've had so many face-plants in my career and truly have come to look back fondly on them. It's to show our young listeners that Even someone like you, Justin, who is totally rocking it, has struggled and that fails are going to happen. And the important thing is to learn how to pick yourself up, take away those lessons learned and power on. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think, right, just with the world of social media, we tend to think that people live this perfect life. I mean, I'm at fault for it as well. But even when people do post things of their failures, I feel like we always forget about those. And we only look at when they took a trip to Dubai or they took a trip to Japan or whatever it sort of may be. Now, for the biggest failure for me, it was probably the Get Your Grind Up podcast. And the reason I say that is when we were running it, we were probably running it for a year and a half to two years back when we were in school. And we thought that we were doing well, but it was really just stagnant. And we never really looked at the statistic. We were just looking at our our listens and downloads going up. But when we looked at the statistics, we found that most students were dropping off after the 10 to 15 minute mark. And we were like, why are students doing this? Like we're spending an hour long episode and students are just dropping off after the first 10, 15 minutes. We need to find a way to retain their attention. And what ended up happening is we wanted to just cut the show, put it on hold for a little bit because we didn't know how to best create an interview show that would capture students' attentions. And that's where we came up with the idea of Declassified College, where it's short, 5 to 15 minute long episodes, different perspectives to add that vlog-esque experience and to retain the younger person's perspective. 
And it's been doing really well. And we've already gotten past what we were at for declassified college or for get your grind up, sorry. And it's only been a matter of six months. So it's been absolutely a crazy journey. But I think the lesson there is everyone's going to fail. If you don't face plant, then you're probably not reaching high enough in terms of what you could do. But from the face plant, what can you take from it and what can you learn? And for me, for the get your grind up one, it was making sure that you stay consistent with your analytics. Listen to what people are telling you and don't just be blind because you want to succeed so much. And I think that's a huge lesson for anyone, especially when you're young, to, to really understand. Thank you so much for sharing that, Justin. Final question. If you could go back to university, back to the University of Central Florida and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I think I would probably keep the majority of it all the same. The only thing that I think tangibly would have helped me succeed and accelerate my success more would be having a more engineering mindset. So instead of switching to a finance degree, I would go and probably get a an engineering degree of some sorts, whether it's computer, mechanical, whatever that may be. And the whole reason for that is because the engineering mindset I think is so important, especially in entrepreneurship, because they always want to understand how things work. And I think I have that mindset, but just being able to take more courses and learning more about how things work in the real world is so important. And I think that's why you're seeing so many employers looking to hire engineers coming out of school. It's not necessarily that your calculus five class that you have to take in college is important. It's just more of how you think and that you're always looking to solve problems that is super important to these companies. Yeah. And because you're Asian, you're good at math. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, it should have been it should have been a slam dunk while I was in school. And I, I wish I did it now. But essentially the reason why I chose finance in college was because I saw it as the easier path to graduating. And I think looking back, I probably would have learned more, not only in terms of knowledge, but about myself if I had taken those harder classes, which I know that I could probably succeed in at the same time. Yeah. And I think when we're in college, we're very focused on grades. And mm -hmm. unless you're going to graduate school, the grades don't matter. Like no employer asks you or yeah, very exactly. few are going to care what your GPA is. I certainly never asked. What they're going to care about are the hard skills, the soft skills, the fact that you're a team player, the fact that you're a self-starter, the fact that you've got a can-do attitude, that you've got a sense of humor, that you're somebody that they want to hang out with. And I know it's hard to think that way because we're in the middle of the coronavirus right now, but this is going to pass and we're all going to be back in offices and we're all going to be interacting. And your hiring managers are thinking, is this somebody I'm going to enjoy having around me eight to 12 hours a day. Exactly. And I think I think the GPA, it really only matters for maybe your first internship, right? Or that first real work experience on your resume. Because once you have that experience, you're able to sort of overcome a bad GPA, basically, by showing that you can actually do the work. And it was funny when we had on Eric Custer on our show, he's a professor out of Georgetown, and he was telling me the story, and this is probably a great place to end the, the interview, but he was telling me the story about a study that I believe Purdue University did. And what they did was they went out to like 10,000 recent graduates, probably anywhere between one to five years out. And they asked them a series of questions which revolved around, do they feel that they're thriving? 
And out of like the 10,000, I believe the stat is either one out of seven or one out of eight students, only one believed that they were thriving out of the eight. And the main reason that they felt that they were thriving had nothing to do with GPA, it had nothing to do with what college they attended, nothing to do with financial background, parents' background, nothing. The two main factors that basically determined whether or not a student would be thriving was if they had produced a project that took longer than one semester to to do. And secondly, if they had really good relationships with a faculty member. So if you're looking to thrive post-graduation, you really want to focus on who is a good professor that you really want to keep in contact with. And then how can I work on a project, whether it be in school, on your own, whatever it may be, that takes more than a semester. And those two things alone will set you into that top 10, 15% of most students when it comes to after graduation. Fantastic. Justin's movement is called Get Your Grind Up and his podcast is called Declassified College Unlock the cheat codes, you've gotten a window into just how much knowledge and how many of those cheat codes Justin has up his sleeve. And his LinkedIn course, in which you can learn kind of from A to Z about LinkedIn, we'll have a link in show notes for you to check that out. Justin, I want to thank you so much, not just for making time for coffee today with me in the T4C community, but for going through this process with me <laughs> so many times. You are such a sweet guy. You're so easygoing. And I'm so glad that you reached out to me to connect. And I know that Get Your Grind Up and Declassified College are going to continue to crush it and grow and you will achieve what you put your mind to, Justin. I have no doubt about it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.